0: Hello, and welcome back to Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. In today's episode, we're going to look at all the creepiness surrounding imaginary friends. Some coming from little kids, some coming from parents, and some coming from people that remember their imaginary friend from when they were younger. Alright, let's jump right into the spookiness. Spookiness. All right we're gonna kick off this episode by kind of talking about the inspiration for this episode. I know I was listening to another podcast. I can't remember which one but they were talking about how an imaginary friend really was a person that was breaking into their house at night and the little girl just assumed she was an angel or a imaginary friend. And so when she talked about this stranger to her parents, they assumed it was an imaginary friend as well. All right. So I got to thinking about all the correlation between that and when kids report creepy things and report seeing ghosts or, you know, people that we can't see as adults. And some people say kids are closer to that side of things, closer to... Like, their filter hasn't been put in yet. So they're able to see that world, the spirit world. All right. So with that being said, let's jump into our first article. All right. We're going over to BuzzFeed. And they have an article, The Classmate That Didn't Exist, Purple Mommy, and 16 Other Creepy Childhood Imaginary Friend Stories by Angelica Martinez. All right. Number one, when my son was about three years old, we were living with my mom in an older apartment. I'd always gotten a weird vibe from it. Um, The atmosphere felt heavy and a little oppressive, but I assumed it was just because of the age. However, my son started waking up in the middle of the night and would talk to his friend, who he would describe as the hat man. We would always wake up He would always wake up and tell the hat man that he didn't want to go play with him because he was supposed to be asleep and that he'd see him tomorrow. This was always followed by him waking me up and asking for a glass of water. I knew it wasn't just an imaginary friend when one night I heard him talking and when he said he'd see him tomorrow, the door to his room closed on its own. This stopped completely once we moved out. Number two. One day, my daughter came home from preschool and told me she had a new friend that joined her classroom named Susha. I didn't think much about it. My daughter would say things like she wanted a colorful backpack like Susha's or hair ribbons like hers. One day, my husband asked the teacher to point out which girl on the playground was Susha, and the teacher told him there was no such girl with that name. After that, my husband insisted this was an imaginary friend and discouraged my daughter from mentioning her. It was several months before she brought Susha up again. We went on a trip to Argentina from California, and as we were riding up a glass elevator in Buenos Aires Airport, my daughter suddenly pointed down into the crowd and said, Look, there's Susha! She followed us here, even though Dad told her to go away. Neither myself or my husband saw a child where she was pointing. My sister and I had the exact same imaginary friend when she was six and I was five. Her name was Narnie. It would freak our older brother and parents out that we would both talk to her and knew exactly where she would be. They would wonder how we both would interact with her at the same time and that our descriptions of her matched. We would even talk about how she would get angry or jealous. Our parents thought for sure that it was the spirit of a child that had passed. When I was little, I claimed to have an imaginary friend who had light brown hair wore a nightgown, and had stars for eyes. Well, my niece was living in, at my old childhood home and told me that she has a friend who misses me and asked why I went away. When I asked her who it was, she described my old imaginary friend. It was super spooky. Number five. My youngest sister, who was four years old at the time, had an Im- imaginary friend named Paris Jarris. My dad had built her a small playhouse in our backyard where my mom could see and hear her while she was in the kitchen. My sister would have tea parties and such with her imaginary friend. One day, my mom heard her say, don't worry, as long as I'm alive, they won't hurt you. She paused and said, well, if you do that, then I can't help you. It's not nice to kill people. Number seven. A kid once told me that he didn't want to go to church because his invisible friend said he can't follow him in there. Number eight, when I was around three or four, my mom would drive around with me in the back seat, and I'd usually just talk and talk. When my mom used to answer my questions, I'd always tell her that I wasn't talking to her, and then I wouldn't tell her who I was talking to when she'd ask. We pulled into the driveway one afternoon and I said goodbye to my friend named Pappy. My mother told my father some years later and discovered that Pappy was what my father used to call his father when he was little. My grandfather passed away a while before I was born, and my father never shared that name with anyone. When my son was first learning to talk, he would tell us about something called Purple Mommy. He described Purple Mommy as all-purple with long hair and bright all-white eyes. At the time, he was mixing up purple with black a lot, so he could have meant she was all-black and shadowy. Purple Mommy would pick him up at night and turn off the lights. This creeped me out, as we would often find my son out of his crib in the morning, which would mean him crawling over the railing into the ground at a time when he was barely walking. I definitely found the lights in his room off a few times, even though he's terrified of the dark. He also explained that Purple Mommy needed bandages because she had blood everywhere. Purple Mommy could take her head off, and finally, Purple Mommy didn't really like Daddy. He told us all of this stuff for maybe a year or a little more. If we ever asked where she was, he'd always point to the same spot. A corner of the room behind his open closet door. He woke up crying almost every night during this time. Once during a really routine night, my wife went to ask him what's wrong and his answer was purple mommy won't let me sleep. Number 10. When my daughter was a toddler, she'd randomly started talking about a man named Don. She'd always described him the same way, and didn't seem scared at all. Despite bringing him up every day, she didn't go to daycare, and we didn't really know anyone named Dawn, so I had no idea who it could have been. Then, one day, she got completely freaked out, wouldn't sleep in her room, and wouldn't walk around the house alone in case she ran into Dawn. She started talking about how she hated him, because he said mean words to her all the time. About a year into Mean Dawn, we bought a new house. Once we moved, she never spoke of him again. My son, then about two or three years old, used to tell us about his imaginary friend, Johnny, who wore all green, including a green hat. Once we were driving by the cemetery, and my son pointed out the window and exclaimed, that's where Johnny lives. He was very little and didn't know what a cemetery was, so we explained to him that no one lives there, and it's a place for people who died. That's when he told us that Johnny lived there because he was a soldier who died in a place called Nam. Number 12. I had an imaginary friend named Derek who was a carbon copy of me. We were completely identical. I played with Derek for years, longer than what normal kids do, but he would always look at my mom and older sister with a sense of sadness. Eventually, he went away. 23 years later, I was digging through my mom's safe to grab some paperwork she'd kept for me, And I found a stillborn death certificate for a boy named Derek, who shared my birthday. It was only then that I discovered I was actually a twin, and my brother Derek died during birth. When my son was three years old, one day he asked what happened to the little boy he used to play with. I asked him who he was talking about, thinking he was referring to his cousins or friends from daycare. This happened in 2020, and those were basically the only kids he saw that year so it had to be one of them. He said, no, the little boy I played tag with in the backyard. Well, there had never been a little boy in our backyard at that time. I asked if he was thinking about a dream he had, and he was very adamant that there was in fact a boy he had played with multiple times in our yard. I was a little wigged out, but also he was thinking he's three, so who knows. About a year later, we were driving to preschool, and he said quietly, to me from the back of our minivan mom sometimes i see people who aren't there that other people don't see i asked what he meant and tried to get him to elaborate but he went mom and didn't seem to want to talk about it anymore he's now six and hasn't mentioned any of these friends again my sister ashley used to get visited at night by a dead girl with long dark hair and spider hands Yes, this predated the ring. And yes, I'm very old. Anyway, she moved out the second she turned 18 and never looked back. 20 odd years later, our half-brother Trevor moved into her old room. It wasn't long after Trev started sleeping on the sofa or with the lights on and told us about his new friend that he didn't like. She was a dead girl who had long dark hair, an old nightgown, and spider hands. Needless to say, none of us offered to trade rooms with him. One night, I was reading a story to our three-year-old, and he started laughing. He was looking over my shoulder, so I asked him what he was laughing at, and he answered, the little girl by the door is being silly. I looked back, terrified of what I might see, and as I did, he stated, Oh, she ran away. Needless to say, I called my husband at work and told him I would not be sleeping a minute that night. My eldest daughter had an imaginary friend when she was four years old. His name was Jack, and he used to live under our back porch. She said he liked to shove sticks down people's throats. I discouraged playtime with Jack. All right, 17. My five-year-old daughter was sick one night, so she slept with me whilst her dad slept downstairs. She couldn't fall asleep and was talking nonsense that only a five-year-old can talk. She abruptly stopped, snapped her head to look the opposite direction, and said in a very stern voice, No, I can't play ball right now. I'm busy. Then she turned to me and said, What? It's just my spirits. Before continuing her prior babbling like nothing had happened. Needless to say, I did not sleep a wink that night. Especially because we had never used the term spirits around her. My husband's grateful he got the sofa shift after I relayed this tale to him the next morning. Number 18. And finally, let's start with some backstory here. One of my uncles, let's call him Steve, lost a childhood friend when he was about seven years old. Steve and his friend, let's call him Jack, were having a play date one afternoon and got a bit dirty in some mud. So Steve's mother gave Jack a pair of Steve's shoes to borrow. When Jack's father came to pick him up after the playdate, he forgot to put his shoes back on, so he accidentally got into the car still wearing Steve's boots. Tragically, the father and Jack got into a terrible car accident on the way home, which killed seven-year-old Jack. The family had him buried in the shoes he had borrowed from Steve. Fast forward 30 years. It's 2010, and we're at a family gathering. My six year old cousin Sarah was alone, playing with toys in a quieter room of the house. My uncle Steve went up to her and asked her what she was playing. Sarah responded, saying that she was playing with a friend, holding back a smile. Steve asked who her imaginary friend was. She explained that she was playing with his friend Jack, adding, He's sorry you he forgot to give your shoes back. My uncle's jaw nearly dropped. He had not talked about Jack in years, let alone told the story to a six-year-old. No one had brought up Jack that day, nor at any family gatherings recently. Every time I remember this incident, I get chills. And let's see what else BuzzFeed has for us. So this is a different article, and it is about imaginary friends. Parents are sharing stories about their child's imaginary friend, and they might make a chill run down your spine. By Shelby Heinrich. Number one, Mr. Nobody. His name was Mr. Nobody. He started as the person the kids would blame if one of them forgot to flush the toilet. Then his mythology evolved. For the record, all of this was conceived by three of my kids, who at the time were six, five, and three years old. Mr. Nobody has no eyes, no teeth, no tongue, and no nose. He doesn't wear pants and leaves the used toilet paper between his butt cheeks so you can tell where he is by his smell. He doesn't wear a shirt, but has a pocket cut into his skin where he keeps the key to our house. He can be invisible. He had a beard since he was a baby. He bites off his fingernails and then drips blood where he walks. Thankfully, there have been a few years since Mr. Nobody has been in our house. Number 2. Ghostly Pals during childbirth, I had complications. I almost died, and my daughter actually did. They revived her, and we have been happy and healthy since. But since she was an infant or toddler, she's always looked around like she's watching something and just giggling at it. Fast forward to the age of four, and she told me about her first imaginary friend, Ghostie. All of her imaginary friends are ghosts. To this day, she still talks to them at age seven, Unsure if they are real or not, but I'm always sure to be kind to my daughter's ghost friends and invite them along with us. Barzy My eldest son, now 20 years old, had an imaginary friend named Barzy. It was a giant wolf, but could transform into a boy. My wife and I didn't think much about it until we noticed that my son had broken a plastic butter knife and stabbed quite a few of his stuffed animals. He told us that Barzy had told him to do it and had even helped. That was when we really got concerned. We took him in to get some counseling after an incident involving a lighter that we found on the ground outside of our apartment. He had tried to burn his baby brother's favorite toy. While in counseling, it came to light that Barzi was planning to eat our family and to pee our blood over the apartment. This was the beginning of my son's counseling and mild medications. Barzi disappeared over a few months and we were able to take my son off his medications the following year. He remained in counseling for quite a few years, but Barzi was never mentioned again. Bob. My daughter started saying Bob before she learned how to say mama or dada. She would say it all the time at random times. One time I in the nursery rocking her to sleep. When she said, to, said it And so I asked, who's Bob? And she pointed up at the corner of the ceiling behind me. Number five, a watchful companion. Our youngest daughter asked us to keep our bedroom door open because her imaginary friend couldn't open doors. We laughed it off and figured she was just afraid and wanted to be able to see us or know we were home if she woke up in the middle of the night. The next day, I casually asked what her friend did at night. And she said she likes to stand at the end of our bed and watch us sleep. We asked how often she speaks with her, and she said she really only likes to talk and come out at night. We asked her to draw a picture of her friend, and the drawing showed really sharp teeth and a lump on her head. We eventually moved, and her friend didn't come with us, but our daughter said she pr- she'd probably find us. That was eight years ago, and we haven't heard about her since we moved. I'm hoping she got lost. My stepbrother had an imaginary friend named Willow Rose. One night, my mom found the dog dead outside. My stepbrother admitted to killing the dog because Willa Rose told him to do it. The next day, he disappeared. Mom told me he went to go live with Grandma for a while. I'm 20 years old now and have never seen him since. My stepbrother once told me that Willa Rose looked like before she got sent away, before he got sent away. Apparently, she was a 14-year-old girl who died in 1904. She had no eyes but wore glasses and had paper white skin and wore a ruffled pink dress with olive green stockings. All right, number seven, quick glances. In the past, I've seen things out of the corner of my eye, then glanced to see nothing's there. Of course, I figured that was just my eyes being weird and stopped paying attention to those things. Well, my daughter is currently a toddler, and I recently had her sitting in my lap while I was reading a book. I saw something in the corner of my eyes, as usual, and my daughter quickly looked over. She then stared wide eyed at nothing and watched it cross through the room. Since then, it's happened two more times. She's not at the point where she can communicate what she's looking at, but she's getting there. If it happens again, I plan to ask her what she sees. Kari Kar. We were walking home from a neighbor's house when we walked past a drain hole cover. My son stopped and looked down at the rainwater and said, there's a little boy drowning down, down there. His name is Kari The name was a combination between two Norwegian names, Kari, female name, and Kar, male name. My son is only three years old, and we don't know anyone by these names. I certainly didn't know, didn't think he knew what drowning meant. He usually doesn't speak about it anymore, but sometimes he wakes up at night and just points at his baby Jorn and says, Kari card don't want to sleep. Number nine, Samantha and Monstrest. When my daughter was four years old, she had two friends that we lived in the rental house. One was named Samantha. Samantha would insist on staying in my daughter's room most of the time. Then my daughter would say that Samantha had to go to bed, and we asked where her bed was. She very nonchalantly told us. She leaves the house when it gets dark and goes out the back door to sleep under the grass. We opted not to investigate further. The other was a man named Monstressed, or something close to that. He was very nice, according to her, had long black hair, and wore tan pants and funny shoes with no shirt. She said he was usually covered in blue and white, and would come walk around the house and yard, hang around, listen to music if we had some on, and would stand in front of the yard until morning. We've since moved out of that house, and she has not uttered one thing about either of those friends visiting. Number 10, Grammy. I heard my three-year-old son talking up a storm in his room, pausing as if he was listening to another person answer him. No one was with him, so I asked who he was talking to, and he said Grammy. She came for a visit. Grammy was my husband's grandmother who died in our house three years before our son was born. We figured she just wanted to spend some time with him. She stayed around for a couple months, then he never saw her again. Number 11, Harls. My friend's son had an imaginary friend named Harls, and he was the cause of several injuries to that kid. He would come up to his dad and ask for a bandage, and his dad would ask what happened, and he would talk about how his imaginary friend hurt him. After a year of them closely watching him, one day it just stopped. Charles never came back. Number 12, Jimmy. I don't remember anything about my f- friend other than his name. His name was Jimmy, and supposedly he was a demon. My mom tells me that I would have full conversations with my window frame, assuming that's where he would stay, and only stopped talking when she noticed. She said she asked him where Jimmy came from, and I told her he died and came back from the ground. She never asked about him again, and I don't remember him at all. Apparently, when I was three years old, I had an imaginary friend named Ushi, cow in my native language. He told me to go for a walk at one in the morning, try and flood the house, etc. I don't remember any of this, but it's kind of creepy. Number 14, Arlo. My three year old started talking to her friend Arlo, telling us stuff she did that was funny. We assumed she was talking about a friend of hers from school and made up stories about them playing together, but we came to find out that there was no Arlo at her school. Around this time, it had gotten warmer outside and a new ice cream man started coming around. Our daughter wanted to know why he played music, and we obviously didn't want to listen to her beg for ice cream six times a day all summer long, so we told her that he was just the music man and comes by to play music. This was right when lockdown was in full effect. And there wasn't much to do. She hadn't hung out with many kids in the past couple weeks. One day she heard the ice cream man and excitedly told her told us he's not a music man he's an ice cream man who sells ice cream. She said Arlo told me that you lied (laughs) said he was a music man dad. We asked where Arlo lived and she told us he lived in her closet. Very cool stories. All right let's take a short break and Alright, now we're going to go over to Thought Catalog, where they have an article about parents. 23 parents describe their kids' creepy imaginary friends that are probably actually demons. By Chrissy Stockton. Yep, just when you thought you were ready for poopy diapers and drippy noses and no sleep ever again, the real reason having kids is so terrifying? They're creepers. A mom asked Reddit users to share the scariest things their kids have ever said about their imaginary friends. Number 1. He doesn't have a face My son from the age of 3 always tells me about the creeper man who lives in my mom and dad's bedroom. He brings it up after he visits them. I made the mistake once of asking what he looks like, and my son said, Oh, he doesn't have a face. Number 2. You'll get used to killing A parent of one of my students told us in a meeting that she was concerned about her seven-year-old talked about an invisible ghost who would talk to him and play with him in his room. He said the ghost was called the captain and was an old white guy with a beard. The kid would tell his mom that the captain told him when he grows up his job will be to kill people, and the captain would tell him who needed to be killed. The kid would cry and say he doesn't want to kill when he grows up, but the captain tells him he doesn't have a choice, and he'll get used to killing after a while. Number three, little girl ghost. When my daughter was three, she had an imaginary friend named Kelly, who lived in the, her closet. Kelly sat in a little rocking chair w- while she slept. Played her with her, typically imaginary friend stuff. Anyway, fast forward two years, the wife and I are watching the new Amneville, the one with Ryan Reynolds. And our daughter walks right out when the dead girl goes all black-eyed. Far from being disturbed, she said, That looks like Kelly. Kelly who, we say. You know, the dead girl that lives in my closet. Number four, bad rabbit. My cousin, when she was five and I was 17, had a stuffed rabbit that she talked to and carried everywhere. One day, she was asleep on the couch while I was watching her, and she woke up and started yelling at her rabbit for no reason. One minute she was knocked out, and the next she was awake glaring at her rabbit yelling, No, you can't do that. That's bad. Don't do it. Repeatedly. I asked her what was wrong, and she tried to get her to stop, but she wouldn't listen. I finally just took the rabbit up to her room, and when I came back down, she was asleep on the couch again. Whatever that rabbit was planning on doing. (laughs) Screw that. (laughs) Number 5. Roger won't be around anymore. My little brother's imaginary friend, Roger, lived under our coffee table. Roger had a wife and nine kids. Roger and his family lived peacefully alongside us for three years. One day, my little brother announced that Roger wouldn't be around anymore since he shot and killed him and his whole family. I don't know if he remembers any of this, but his genuine lack of of remorse was very disturbing. Number six, boy in the tree. My folks' farm surrounds a cemetery, and my dad and my niece were walking down there. My niece, who's four, looks up and says, What's that boy doing up in that tree? There was no boy, but she insisted there was and could describe him. Number eight, poor Shaggy. When my mom was younger, she had an imaginary friend named Shaggy. When she was finished with Shaggy, she chopped him up and put him in the fridge, according to her. Number nine, smash daddy's head. When my brother was just learning how to talk, he grabbed one of those small toy hammers, crawled onto the sofa where my dad was sleeping. He leaned in close and whispered one of his first sentences. Smash daddy's head right into his ear. Number 10, dark angels. When my brother was little, he acted like he had angels talking to him every second. One day, my mom overheard him say, I can't kill him. He's my only dad. Number 11. That's the man. My daughter used to tell me about a man who came into her room every night and put the sign of the cross on her forehead. I thought it was just a dream. Then my mother-in-law sent over some family photos. My daughter looked right at the picture of my husband's father, who's been dead for 16 years, and said, that's the man who comes in my room at night. My husband later told me, his father would always do the sign of the cross on his forehead when he was young. Number 12, message from beyond. My wife and I overheard my two-year-old daughter on the baby monitor wake up on Sunday morning and say, What? Okay, I'll tell her. Then get up and come into our bedroom and told my wife, Mary says you're doing a good job. Mary was her grandmother that was extremely close to that passed away. Number 13, I called him Spooky Guy. As a kid, I said that my imaginary friend was a ghost. I called him Spooky Guy and said he died in the garage of the house on the hill behind ours. I even came up with his death. He was a 16-year-old who got in a car crash and walked to the house to ask to use their phone and died in the 70s. The person lived there, grabbed him, and sexually abused him there and killed him. He was my imaginary friend as far back as I can remember. This scared my mom so much that she tried to look up records to see if that happened and got me a therapist. Number 14, Icy wants me to tell you it will be tonight. In high school, one of my best friends had a little sister who was 5 or 6 years old. One day, she stopped by my his place, completely high, because he needed his magic cards. While waiting for him to come downstairs, his sister came up to me and said, Icy told me to ask you if you know where you're going to die, or when you're going to die. I left nervously. Morbid question, right? But I knew all about Icy, her imaginary friend. I even helped draw her a picture of him once. So I played along and said, no, of course not. No one knows that. Hopefully when I'm very old. The girl shook her head sadly and said, no, Icy wants me to tell you it'll be tonight. And with that, she just walked away. Number 15. It is the punishment. I was 17 and babysitting a friend of the family's six-year-old. He'd been in bed a couple of hours, and I just peeked in on him to check on him. He wasn't in the bed, and when I opened the door wider, I saw him standing in the corner, facing the wall. Creepiest thing ever. I asked him what he was doing, and all he did was turn around, smile, put his finger to his lips as if to say, and I asked him again what he was doing and all he said is, leave us, it is the punishment. Number 16, keep kicking. My grandfather had a camp on Lake Daring in New Hampshire when I was a kid. One day when I was six or so, I fell off the dock and into the water. I couldn't swim. While under, I distinctly remember seeing a little girl down there who told me to look upwards, look towards the sun and just keep kicking and I'd be fine. I swam to the surface just in time for my grandfather to swoop me up and pull me back onto the dock. Number 17. Nope. When my boy was four, his imaginary friend would sit in the corner of the room when he switched off the lights and the light the room with red glowing eyes. Number 18. They were both dead. Kid I used to babysit had imaginary friends. They were dead. Nope. One had no head. One was an old lady. They were both bloody. The one with no head had insides sticking out of his neck. I didn't ask him questions about them because what the crap. Number 19, Tracy. When my niece was about four, she had an imaginary friend, which I don't remember the name of. She would blame things she did on this imaginary friend, but would also talk about how this friend would watch Scooby-Doo with her. One day I thought, why don't I find out more about this friend? So I asked her to tell me about her friend, and she said, she's a she and she's dead and I said okay does she have a job and she said she does what my daddy does which is her imaginary friend was a cop okay so then I said where is your imaginary friend a policewoman at right next to where my daddy is a policeman and I said okay but then she said I met her when I was in my mommy's tummy she touched it when I was inside. A few months before my niece was born, my cousin Tracy had died. She was hit by a train. She loved watching a Scooby-Doo and had a ton of memorabilia. She was also a cop. She was a cop in the town that is right next to the one my brother-in-law is a cop in, my niece's daddy. My niece's imaginary friend was my dead cousin, and there's no way she could have known all of that at the age of four. Number 20. That's why I don't like water now. When my kid was four, we were watching this docu on Titanic. The scene was a picture of the schematics of the boiler room, and the camera panned to the left to the right over the plans. He pointed at the TV and said, That's wrong. The boilers were on the other side, and I was right there. He pointed to a small space in the boiler room. And that's where I was, and that's why I don't like water now. 21. Emily When my sister was probably about six or seven, she had an imaginary friend named Emily. She told us Emily lived in her closet, wore an old black dress, and had long dark hair, as she was the same age as my sister. My sister played with Emily constantly. My parents started noticing my sister acting weird, just sitting in the middle of her room whispering to Emily quite a bit and acting a lot more distant towards them. I remember a very specific day. My brother was walking by her room, and my sister was sitting in the middle of the floor. But she turned around and hissed at him. He was scared. didn't even look like my sister. My parents ran up to her room, and I could hear my sister just screaming and screaming as loud as she could. Get out. I have no idea what happened in that room, but I ran to the bottom of my stairs, and the screaming stopped. I saw my parents holding my sister, crying their eyes out. She was sobbing as well. I asked her about it today. She's 24 now. She told me that Emily used to tell her to do horrible things to herself. She actually used to wake up on the roof and not remember how she got there. I'm not kidding. Apparently, Emily also hated my parents, so she turned my sister against them. She hated talking about it, so I never brought up the specific night. This all happened at my old house. When we moved into a different house, Emily was gone. I'm not making any of this up. My sister's little friend was a really big deal to my family and messed things up for a long time. I'm just relieved that we left that house. 22. She floated above his bed at night. When my younger brother was about four, he had an imaginary friend named Victoria Meadowbrook. He told us that she was the prettiest girl ever, and she floated above his bed at night. 23. The evil is coming. When my older daughter was two or three, she used to have a couple of imaginary friends, Dodo and Dee. They were typical imaginary friends. Nary friends. She would talk to them and play with them and tell them about their lives. Then one day, when she was about three, she was talking on her play phone when I was walking into the room. She hung up her phone and said to me, with a completely flat voice and deadpan expression, the evil is coming. All right, we go now to imaginary friends from Scary for Kids. All right, we begin. Jenny. When I was four years old, my mom and I moved into a large colonial house that was built in the late 1800s. My mom always had a weird feeling about the house. There was a little bricked-off section in the basement. We never knew why it was there. My mother told me that soon after we moved into the house, I suddenly had an imaginary friend. One day, out of the blue, I told her I had been playing with a little girl named Jenny. She thought it was just a phase and didn't pay much attention to it. I told her that Jenny wanted me to let the cat go down into the basement so she could play with it. My mother allowed me to let the cat go down there. It never came back. That creeped her out. Then, a few days later, I told her Jenny wanted me to go down into the basement to play with her. My mother refused and told me to go upstairs to bed. I did, and when I woke up the next morning, I had deep scratches on my back and legs. My mother decided to research the history of the house. She found an old picture of the house and the family who used to live there. She showed me the picture, and I asked if I recognized any of them. There were seven little girls in the picture, and without hesitation, I pointed to one of them. The name of all the family members were written on the back, and the girl I pointed to was named Jenny. My mother got scared because during her research, she had discovered that the girl named Jenny had gone down into the basement one day and was never seen again. The family never found her and moved shortly after that. After I identified the girl in the picture, it was all way too much for my mom to handle. We moved out of the house and found somewhere else to live. When I turned 18, my mom told me all about what happened in that house. It still scares me when I think about it. All right. Don't tell anyone my name. My niece had an imaginary friend, but she said she wasn't allowed to tell anyone his name. She said he told her everyone would get scared if they knew it. We kept asking her, but she would never tell anyone the name. One day, her mom and I were in the hallway, and my niece didn't realize it. She was talking to her imaginary friend and called him by his name. To this day, whenever I think about it, I am still creeped out. The imaginary friend's name was Lucifer. Funny Faces I was staying in my aunt's house when I saw my four-year-old cousin, April, sitting on the stairs. She was making funny faces. I asked her what she was doing, and she said, I'm copying the lady with the braid. There was no one else there, so I asked, Where is the lady, April? She pointed up at a beam running parallel to the stairwell. And what is the lady doing? I asked. Making funny faces, April replied. I was about to go upstairs when April said something that stopped me in my tracks. Her braid is around her neck. I asked her what she meant. April pointed up and said, the lady is hanging by her braid. She's making funny faces at me. Then April started making a face. Her eyes were wide and bugged out. Her mouth hung open and her tongue stuck out. I realized it was the face of someone who was strangling to death. Matt. When I was growing up, there was a girl in my neighborhood who was very weird. All of the other kids were freaked out by her. One day, she told all the kids that in the forest behind her house there were dead, bloody people. When they heard this, all of the kids freaked out and told their parents. Their fathers had to go out and search the forest just in case. All they found was candy wrappers and empty beer bottles. After that, all the kids in the neighborhood refused to go near her, including me. A few years later, my parents divorced. On the day the moving came to take my mom's things out of the house, the girl came out of nowhere and told me that Matt didn't like that my parents were getting a divorce. I had no idea who Matt was. Even though I stopped being friends with her, my dad was still friends with her parents. My dad told me that Matt was her imaginary friend. Her parents had told him all about the problems they were having. Matt was often too physical. They claimed that Matt could control the lights and could even make the power go out. They said Matt also knocked on the doors at night. If he was ignored, the banging on the doors would start. A few years later, my dad decided he would invite the girl and her parents over to the house. I was begging my dad not to do this, but he said it would be nice to catch up with them. When they came over that night, my dad told me to entertain the girl. I brought her up to my bedroom, and she seemed to be acting normal. She even told me how nice my room was. However, I was still creeped out by her. We just sat down in the middle of the floor where I tried to put on a movie on the DVD player. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the most deadpan voice, she said, Matt's here. At that exact same moment, the lights began to flicker on and off. I got scared. I ran out of my room, crying in fear. Her parents came running up the stairs, dragged their daughter out of my room, and took her home. For weeks afterwards, I refused to sleep in my bedroom. I haven't heard much from the family ever since then. I heard that Matt still controlled the lights, but I don't know if he's still around. To this day, whenever lights begin flickering or a bulb blows, it still freaks me out. The Dread Boy, or the Dead Boy. My boyfriend is a homicide detective, and a couple years ago, he was investigating the murder of a little boy. He still hadn't found the body. The mother of the little boy broke down and admitted she had killed him and hid his body under the old trailer. When the police went out to search the trailer, they found there was a new family living in it. The family said their son had an imaginary friend who lived under the trailer and would come up to see him. The cops found the body of the dead boy just under his room, Serena. I asked my niece to draw her imaginary friend, Serena. She's four years old, and when she sleeps over, she and Serena play in the living room. She says Serena likes my house. I shudder to imagine what would happen if she didn't. When I was just a baby, my older sister, Julia, had an imaginary friend named Jessica. She said that when Jessica got mad, her eyes turned green and her voice grew deeper. She was Julia's friend for a long time, and then things started to get a little weird. After a while, my parents began to believe our house was haunted. One night, my mom was putting me to bed, and I began to cry and point at the corner. My mom tried to comfort me, and I kept crying and pointing at the same corner. All of a sudden, my sister walked in the room, pointed up at the corner, and yelled, Jessica, stop it! I immediately stopped crying, and Julia said, Sometimes Jessica likes to put on scary masks and scare people. My mom was a little freaked out and said, tell Jessica that if she can't play nice, she can't play here at all. Eventually, my sister Julia outgrew her imaginary friend and stopped mentioning her. A few years later, my little sister Abby began to talk. She told my mom she had a friend that no one else could see. She said her imaginary friend's eyes turned green when she was upset. My mom asked her what her imaginary friend's name was, and she replied, Jessica. Back when I was in elementary school, my best friend's name was Ryan. We were around six or seven. One day, there was a new kid in our class. His name was Andrew, and he had just moved in from out of state. He was socially awkward and used to sit alone, just talking quietly to himself. The strange thing was, he always appeared to be enraged during these conversations with himself. Ryan and I decided to befriend him, and we invited, he invited us over to his house for a sleepover. The whole day went by without incident, and it was all good fun. Andrew seemed different at home. He was more relaxed, more comfortable, more normal. That night, we went to sleep in his bedroom, which was in the basement. I remember lying there on the floor. My buddy Ryan was asleep near me, and Andrew was across the room on a couch. It was dark, and I could only see his outline. All of a sudden, Andrew started making some eerie, high-pitched screeching noise, and I saw him walk towards me. I kicked Ryan to wake him up, and both of us were freaked out. Andrew kept walking until he was standing over us. Then he just kneeled down and slowly let the screech die out. Ryan and I looked at each other, unsure of what to do. Suddenly, Andrew grabbed our arms and started squeezing like he was trying to crush them. In a disturbing low voice, he growled, Scotty wants you both to leave. I ripped my arm out of his grasp and so did Ryan. Andrew got up again and just stood there staring at us, letting out a high-pitched evil laugh. We both got up, and I suggested going to Andrew's mom's room to wake her up. Before we took a step, Andrew just started screaming at the top of his lungs. His mom came sprinting down the stairs and turned on all the lights. We saw that Andrew had scratches up and down his arms, and his face looked deathly pale. His mom laid him on the ground and held him down. She was trying to speak over his screams, and she was saying things like, Andy, Andy, it's okay. Scotty isn't real. Andy. She turned to us and told us to go upstairs and put our coats on. She was going to take us home. For a couple of weeks after that, we didn't talk to Andrew at school. Eventually, we asked him about it, and he was said, It's okay now. You won't see Scotty anymore. No one will. Needless to say, that was the end of that. We never talked to him again. He ended up getting removed from my school because he attacked a kid with a tree branch at recess. We were watching a scary movie when my nephew looked up and said, what's George doing on the TV? When I asked him what he meant, he said, the boy on TV looks like George. I asked him who George was, and he replied, he lives above my bed every night when the lights are off. talks to me, but I can't hear him. I asked him to draw me a picture. He drew a small boy with black holes for eyes and no teeth who is bleeding from his neck. That's George, he said. My little brother had an imaginary friend named Tuna. He said she was the size of a thimble. When he stopped mentioning her, we asked him what happened to her. He said he ate her, the evil. My daughter had some imaginary friends for a couple of years named Dodo, Ghana, and the evil. They just sort of appeared out of nowhere when she was about three years old. It started with Dodo and Ghana. And a few months later, she came up with a creepy expressionless face told me, the evil, is coming over today, and just walked away. It turned out the evil was actually an imaginary friend. She just had an unfortunate name. We go over to Ranker, where they have 20 grown-ups describe imaginary friends that may not have been imaginary, by Amanda Sedlak-Hevener. Insisted Karen be treated like a real person. I was an imaginative... I was an imaginative kid and had several imaginary friends, but my first one was different from the rest. When I was about two or three, I had an imaginary friend named Karen. My whole family knew about her, and I would insist she be treated like a real person, unlike my later fantasy folks. My mom would hear me carrying on wholesome conversations with her alone and was a little curious when I had come up with the whole thing. It seemed more complex than toddler pretend, like I genuinely thought she was a person and the people were being inconsiderate to her by not acknowledging her. Sometimes to humor me, my parents would be out of the blue like, well hello Karen, and I'd glare replying she's not here right now. We ended up moving and once we did, Karen wasn't mentioned anymore. Since I was young, I don't remember too much, just a warm feeling like an old friend. My mom asked me about it when I got older and told her I could confidently remember making up my other later imaginary friends, but not Karen. She told me she always wondered if I was seeing something she wasn't, but no harm ever came of it, so she didn't worry. Well, I'm in my 30s now and was reading an article about a case that changed how soon you could report a missing person. As I read, I realized it was sort of near where I used to live, the girl was named Karen. I didn't think much of it. It was a city, crime happens. As I read further, I learned that Karen's murder had buried her body in the town I lived. At that point, not expecting much, but rather curious, I texted my mom for the address of our old house. As it turns out, Karen was murdered, then buried about a mile and a half from our old home. Now, I'm not saying that I'm 100% sure this Karen was my Karen, and the whole thing had happened a little over a decade before my parents ever bought the house. I haven't found a picture of the girl, and sometimes wonder if I'd recognize her even though she died before I was even born. Regardless, the whole thing was a sad story, and the young lady didn't deserve such an awful end. If she was my Karen, it's even sadder her spirit lingered on, and only had a toddler for a friend. Sarah might not be imaginary after all not imaginary per se i used to break into houses as a little kid i lived in a really rundown part of town with a huge amount of foreclosed and empty houses so i would pry off the window screens and if the windows were unlocked i would crawl inside them i may have been like five or six wow a five or six year old crawling and breaking into houses well I'm in one abandoned house, and there was always this young Hispanic girl hanging out in the upstairs bathroom. I would go up there, and she would talk to me, and we'd play tag and hide and go seek or truth or dare. I'd always invite her home for dinner, but she said she couldn't leave because she had to wait for her mom to come home. I guess it made sense to me at the time. When I think back, there was nothing in that house, not even silverware or kitchen drawers. The carpets were all mildewed, and it was seriously empty. I don't think she could have really been there. Her name was Sarah. I don't think she ever told me her last name. She always wore these cut-off tank top shirts. I can't really remember what of, and I'm fairly certain they were graphic tees, and always had these pastel orange spandex shorts. She had a bobbed haircut where the hair was shorter in the back than in the front. She was missing a couple of teeth in front of her mouth. She was a little chubby, especially in the stomach. Tom followed him everywhere. As soon as I could start speaking, I had an imaginary friend. I called him Tom. I would set places at the table for him, talk to him during long bus rides, ask his opinions about things, and basically treat him like an invisible brother, even though I had three other siblings. I don't remember any of this. My mom grew concerned when I w- wasn't developing socially, so she took me to a child psychiatrist. This I remember. She asked me about They asked me about Tom and why I saw him, if I saw anyone else in the same manner, asked me all sorts of stuff with puzzles. I stopped talking to Tom after that. Fast forward 10 years. After my divorce, my mom gets really into spirituality. I thought it was a load of bollocks until she played the recording of a particular psychic reading session with me. The psychic was new and really interested in me for some reason. She said she saw a dark, a young, dark-haired man watching over me. She asked... that. If the name Tim meant anything, and asked if I was a Gemini, she asked if I had a large birthmark on my side. All of this is correct. The psychic inferred that Tom or Tim and I were twins in a past life. The birthmark I carry is apparently how he died, to come watch over me in this life. As a child, I could see him and interact with him, but I lost that gift as I was conditioned not to see him. I'm skeptical of such claims, but hearing the psychic pinpoint such information made the hair rise on the back of my neck. So I guess if you're watching over me, thanks twin bro. Charlie was a little man who went everywhere. I had one when I was like four. He was Charlie. My parents always asked what he looked like, and I always said a little man. He went everywhere with me. It was to the point where I would cry if my mom sat on Charlie while we were eating lunch when we moved away charlie didn't come with us my mom asked where he was and i told her he was going to be a mannequin at sears years later we found out that a little person had committed suicide in our house before we moved in skeleton dogs scared everyone off when i was a kid young maybe five to eight years old i had an imaginary friend that was a skeleton dog it would race everywhere and always be beside me when i reached my destination the animals in the woods around me were afraid of it, of course. She lived there before. I had loads of imaginary friends when I was a kid, most of which were just personifications of my dolls and my favorite characters from books and TV. But I remember one with completely unique personality from when I was about nine, lived living in Virginia. She had pigtails and was called Christine or something similar. And as much as I can remember, she lived in a house before we moved in, and she was close to my age. I didn't think much of this until recently, when my parents and I were talking about when we used to live in that house. My mom told me that she used to hear footsteps and a child's voice coming to the upstairs while I was at school. And my dad told me he once found an old photo of a little girl at the bottom of the closet while he was clearing it. Unfortunately, he couldn't tell me if the girl had pigtails. He was a black ball of energy. When my sister and I were young, we both had imaginary friends, and we could both sense hers. It was like a black ball of energy. My sister claimed that her imaginary friend told her it's her name. We played with her outside, and my sister talked our mom into setting a place for her at the table a few times. Eventually, our parents were uncomfortable with how she convinced, how convinced we both were that this imaginary friend were real and forbade all mention of her. Some years later, we learned that there had been a small group of Native Americans living in that area who had been wiped out about a hundred years ago. The name of the group was that which my sister's imaginary friend had said was hers so long ago. A bunch of creepy imaginary pals... When I was a kid, I had several imaginary friends. My first one was an exact copy of myself, who would follow me around. My second friend was actually a race of thumb-sized mutant children with rainbow-colored hair and superpowers. They had to leave their home planet at the age of 10 if they were weak. They were murdered. So they went to Earth, and I started to raise them in secret. The two main ones that started this whole elaborate story... Now teach at a camp made for survivors, and there is a constant war feuding now. Becky said she hated her. I had an imaginary friend when I was five or six. Her name was Becky Reeder. She was maybe eight or nine, had curly brown hair, and was slightly pudgy. I had her as a friend for about three years. She and I would hang out in the downstairs of my house in color, play with dolls, and sometimes play outside. She would never come upstairs, though, and I never found out why. She would just go away when I went upstairs. One night, she invited me to a party, and I was excited because I could finally meet her family. She had a mom and dad, grandparents, an older sister and an aunt. She told me that the party was by the water, like a 10-minute drive from my house, and that it would be fun. I told her I couldn't leave, and she said she could. we could sneak out. I started out the back door when my mom heard and came to investigate. She said what I was doing, and I told her I was going to Beck- with Becky to a party to meet her family. My mom told me I couldn't go, and threw a fit because I threw a fit because I really wanted to go. My mom picked me up and went to take me to bed, but I couldn't stop crying, so she brought me into her room to sleep in her bed. A while later, I calmed down and was just laying there watching the ceiling when I heard a noise by the bedroom door. Becky was upstairs and she was standing there, and I waved at her and whispered, I'm sorry. Becky said, I hate you, and walked out of the room. I never saw her again after that. I've tried Googling deaths in that area, asking about, but no one knows anything, so it was interesting. I talked to my mom about it when I was older, and she said she was very alarmed when I was so adamant to go to this party, even though it wasn't real. They vanished when the dog arrived. I remember that I was always excited and would rush to get to bed, something a kid never does. I would ask to go to bed early so I could see them. My bedroom was set out in a sort of U shape. My bed was in the middle, and everything was set around facing me. I didn't have a TV in my room, and only the basics. I remember laying in bed, it being pitch black with only some light coming in from my curtains, when two kids would come out. I don't know from where. They seemed to step out of the darkness and would sit on my bed and talk to me about my day. Calling me a silly billy, my dog Sophie would often come rushing into my room to jump on the bed. I would calm her down, kissing and petting her, but upon looking up, the girls would always be gone. I think my room was being decorated with new wallpaper, and I stayed with my parents for a few nights. They put me to bed with some warm milk, cookies and a disney film on their tv the two girls would come out from my room and sit on my parents bed and watch the film with me i remember grabbing some cookies and my glass of milk and offering it to them and one of them looking really happy and shocked and the other girl shaking her head saying we can't they both had white night dresses on and her hair was in a bun they never had any shoes on and would come see me almost every night until i was seven I honestly can't remember their names. This was over 20 years ago. They always seemed terrified when my dog would run into the rooms and vanish. My mom later found out that 15 years before, two girls got attacked by a neighbor's dog in our yard and died. At four, my parents divorced. My dad, with not many resources, moved into the attic of this comically pink house in this bad side of town. One day, he hung a tire swing from a tree in the backyard. I had a lot of fun with that, and I remember this guy living in the basement of the house would hold conversations with me out of the basement window while I played. His name was Tim. He had a yellow jacket and a bright pink helmet every time I saw him, which was every time I went outside. Once in a while, he would ask me to climb into the window, and I always said, I don't think so, Tim, because I thought it was funny that he'd act really angry and mad. I asked my dad recently about Tim, and he said that nobody lived in the basement, and it was used for storage. I don't know if Tim was real or not, but I'm glad I never... They followed her around the yard. When I was about five, I had a pair of imaginary friends, a brother and a sister, both seven, who, only, who only I could see. I lived on a bend in a river half a mile down a dirt road in a wooded area. When I got older, I found out that the land we lived on used to be a trading post back in Pioneer days. They only showed up when I went outside to play. And I remember they wouldn't play on the swing set with me, just play with sticks and rocks in the dirt next to it while I swung. Then when I got off the swing set, they would follow me around our yard, but they never traveled outside the yard. We live on a 160-acre farm. An imaginary evil twin named June. I had an imaginary evil twin named June, who lived in the attic. Whenever I did anything wrong, I blamed her. So my parents would make her write apology letters. I'm right-handed, so I used my left hand to write them, thinking this would fool them. Twenty years later, I'm playing poker, and a dude at the table called me June. I honestly did a double take until I realized he had just forgotten my name. How did he come up with these backstories? I didn't have any siblings, so I was often lonely at home, especially before I started going to school. I had imaginary friends, though. Dozens of them. Most of them were pigs from the planet Zion. My parents are atheists. No idea where I came up with this. Off the top of my head, I remember Good Piggy, Naughty Piggy, and Peter, But Peter wasn't around much, because he always had to go to church. Again, no idea where these came from. Certainly not my parents. There was also a pink bird named Sweetie. I knew they weren't actually real, but at the same time, I couldn't control what they did. They did whatever they wanted, especially Naughty Piggy. Once I started going to school and making real friends, they slowly stopped coming by. I assume they all went back to live on Zion. Jessica the pirate got her into trouble. I had a few that I truly believed in. Apparently, I could talk to them, invite them places, etc. My best imaginary friend was Jessica the Pirate. She would get me into trouble all the time. I don't remember most of the things she did because I was quite young. But I vividly remember one trip to Florida. She pushed me into the nasty, stagnant water at a mini-golf place, and I got in trouble for it. Ghosts that lived in his bathroom. I wouldn't say I had one specific imaginary friend, but rather just spoke to many different characters about stuff. I remember three ghosts that lived in my bathroom that I'd talked to. Not out loud, though. I think there was a little dog-like character I'd imagined from time to time, though I don't remember him well. The little blonde girl. We stayed with my grandparents when I was three for a few months, while my family was between houses. I had an imaginary friend, a little blonde girl. Years later, though, I wondered about her. I first saw her when she was skipping down my grandmother's hallway. I was trying to nap on my grandmother's bed. She stopped outside the bedroom door. The little girl stopped skipping and said, Oh, you can see me. The old lady. When I was just a toddler, between the age of one and two, my mother said I would sit in my crib and talk to somebody. I vaguely remember an old lady who would tell me mommy would be coming soon to help me. Mom said out of the corner of her eye, she would see the old lady from time to time, and the lights would shut off on their own sometimes. I think the house was haunted, and I was talking to the ghost. Even made food for Splashy. His name was Splashy. In kindergarten, I told a girl she could most definitely not swing on the swing next to me, because Splashy was swinging there. Or Splashy was swinging there. She could wait her turn. Needless to say, the teacher had a talk with me about that. I also used to make splashy soup, which consisted of everything I could get my hands on, thrown into the food processor, blender, and baked in the oven to a crisp. Puke-like consistency. I miss that guy. Number two, reincarnated. When my son was three or four, he started talking about his wife. He would say she was outside and very sad. I remember him putting his hand on his heart and saying he missed her. But we couldn't let her in. She needed to move on. Number three oh my god my son has always talked about the green lights that come visit him four-year-old the green lights came to me again last night us okay are they friendly four-year-old they don't have mouths sometimes they go in your room number four where will the man live my bedroom was in the attic and my brother was four he told me about the man who lived in the attic Apparently, he would hear someone walking around in the attic when I wasn't there. He said he'd seen someone's head poking out at the hatch, watching him at night. And he was sorry he'd been too scared to do anything about the man in my bedroom. If that wasn't bad enough, one time I was hanging out in his room one day, when he went quiet out of nowhere, and I asked what was wrong. He said, He's back. And I swear to God, I heard a footstep coming from the attic. I no longer live with them. I was talking to the same brother, now age 10, about him taking the bigger attic bedroom now that it's empty. My youngest brother, 5, immediately answered, But where will the man live? Number 5. Yikes. My boss has a stepdaughter who likes to talk about her brother all the time, and how he's a bad boy who likes to play with fire. The only thing is, she's an only child. Number 6. Forget I Asked. My mom told me that when I was younger, maybe three or four, I was looking out the window in the front yard laughing, and when she asked me what I was laughing at, I flat out told her, the people dancing outside with no faces. Mom said she kept looking ahead at the TV and acted as if she never asked. Number seven, Lisa. My coworker's daughter told me that her imaginary friend Lisa said, good people die too you're good. Watch out. My son was two or three and always had a bunch of imaginary friends. The most frequently mentioned were Monkey Boy and the Cowboy. When my son was two, he woke up one night screaming. I ran into his room. He was terrified. He kept pointing at the corner and saying that Monkey Boy was bad. I ended up picking up my son and putting him to bed to sleep with me. The next time he was three, we were taking a walk with his younger sister in the stroller. I'm pushing the stroller, and he's walking just behind me. He keeps saying, ow, stop it, or please stop. I keep looking behind me at him and see nothing. I stop and ask him what's hurting him. He says, the cowboy's hurting me, mommy. I tell him that there is no cowboy bias, and he says, yes, there is. It's the cowboy in my head. Kids are creepy sometimes. Wigged out. My son stopped talking to his imaginary friend for months after my nephew, who was 15, took his own life. My son, who was not quite five, was the apple of his eye. My nephew treated my son like a little brother, and since his mom watched my son while I worked, they spent lots of time together. I simply told my son his cousin was sick from sadness and he died. I would remind him every time before we went to their house so he wouldn't pester my sister about where he was one day he said mom you keep saying he's not here anymore but he is he sits on my bed before I go to sleep and talks to me he would not be dissuaded this went on for several months he knew things we did not speak about around him that happened my nephew's grandpa on his dad's side passed a few months later that's when my son told me his cousin told him he wouldn't be allowed to visit anymore. He was going on a train with his grandpa, and they wouldn't come back again. Last thing he told him was to never play with guns. They weren't safe. My nephew took his own life with a handgun. Wigged me the hell out. 17. That's very specific. My son had his imaginary friend, Ganga. She lived in the nearby pond, had duck feet, hair all over her face, and ate through a slit in her neck and we were expecting her any minute for dinner. He was totally chill with this horrific monster idea, yet he had recurring nightmares about a puppy coming into his room. On your own. My youngest niece had an imaginary friend, and when my sister told me about it, she said, ask her what she looks like. Okay, what does she look like? Broken pieces. Oh, why is she broken, sweetie? She fell from our cherry. Nope. Sorry, sis. You're on your own. My cousin was a few years younger than me, and he had an imaginary friend named Mookie. Mookie wasn't human, but some kind of alien monster thing. Used to freak me out when I'd hear a noise behind me at my grandparents' house, and my cousin would calmly say, It's only Mookie. He just wants to see you. This is terrifying. When I was little, I claimed to have an imaginary friend, who had light brown hair and wore a nightgown. She had stars for eyes. Well, my niece was living in my childhood home, and she told me she has a friend who misses me, and she asked why I went away. When I asked who, she described my old imaginary friend. It was super spooky. 21. Orange Doggy My son was two. He started to cry in the middle of the night and say, Orange Doggy, under his cot. This is when this went on for at least a month and he would describe the orange doggy as having sharp teeth and stealing his dummies and biting his lips and face until there was blood. He's 16 now and still remembers it vividly. Time to call the exorcist. I'm talking to Miss Lady. Who's Miss Lady? The white lady with black eyes and long fingernails. Cue me searching the nearest exorcist. So we have an article here on Crime Reads. That's called, Why Are Imaginary Friends So Deeply Creepy? It was written by Rachel Ryan. Why are imaginary friends so creepy? What is it that's so unsettling about the sight of a child confidently babbling away to thin air? Stephen King wrote, The root of all human fear is a closed door, slightly ajar. The things we can't see that are almost always more frightening than those we can. The idea of a threat that the child can see but the adults around him can't is recurrent in the horror genre because it's so effective. Think of The Others, The Sixth Sense. Inverse, they tell us Malignant Explained What Horror Gets Wrong About Imaginary Friends by Andy Crump. Psychologists don't totally agree on how many of the world's children have imaginary friends. But get enough of them together and they'll give you a ballpark figure. For invisible friends, the number is 37%. For something less ethereal, like stuffed animal, the percentage jumps up to 65. In other words, if you're reading this, there's a pretty good chance that at some point in your young life you had an imaginary best friend. But the chances that your imaginary friend goaded you into murder are hopefully much lower and the likelihood that your invisible pal was actually an evil entity bent on harming your real-life friends and family is lower still. If that somehow did happen to you, there's a pretty good chance it's because you're in a horror movie. There's a small but growing horror-shub genre <laughs> devoted to imaginary friends. Session 9, Hide and Seek, Sinister, The Orphanage, The Conjuring, Daniel Isn't Real, Z, and most recently, Malignant. James Wan's latest production where the Aquaman director pours his DC money into 90 minutes of 2000s era horror parody capped off by 20 minutes of banana town carnage malignant relies on a boilerplate imaginary friend plot arc where the protagonist Madison becomes the prime suspect behind a rash of gruesome killings that are actually being committed by her childhood imaginary friend Gabriel. But Buried in Malignant and Every Imaginary Friend Thriller that came before it is a common misconception about what it means to be a kid who talks to themselves. Here's how society has evolved beyond horror's take on this common behavior and why imaginary friends and monsters got mixed up in the first place. The Truth About Imaginary Friends Evil imaginary friends have captured pop culture's fascination for a long time, Though not as long as people have viewed imaginary friends as a sign there's something wrong with their children. In decades past, watching your kids play with an imaginary pal, that is, watching them play alone while pretending they're playing with someone else, was reason for concern. Over the years, horror films, plus new non-horror entries like Fight Club and Drop Dead Fred, have reflected that concern by framing imaginary friends as villains. Sometimes the friend is a split personality. Sometimes it's a ghost or a malicious being from another dimension. At all times, they're wicked. But that's the movies. In reality, imaginary friends are misunderstood. In fact, having an imaginary friend is a good sign, not a red flag, says developmental psychologist Taylor. The stereotype would be a shy child who has trouble making real friends or has problems with fantasy reality distinctions, Taylor tells Inverse. That's completely incorrect. It's the exact opposite of that. It tends to be children who are less shy than other children that have lots of real friends. They're social people who enjoy interacting with others, and they have no problem with the fantasy reality distinction. For kids with imaginary friends, the boundaries are clear. They recognize the keyword imaginary, and they know the unicorn plushie they talk to and have tea parties with is just that. Psychological research on the value of imaginary friends has become more mainstream as of late. Parents used to think of imaginary friends as problematic. Nowadays, they worry if their child doesn't have an imaginary friend. I've been asked, does this mean my child is not creative? Our cultural perspective on what it means to have an imaginary friend has shifted entirely. Children who have invisible playmates tend to be more socially adept, more empathic, and more resilient too. That relationship gives them an outlet to process feelings like grief, as in passing of a loved one. In short, kids with imaginary friends benefit from the experience. Why did they get a bad rap? People use them as a way to move the narrative along lots of times, because if their child has an imaginary friend or the character has an imaginary friend, they'll voice their innermost thoughts out loud. You don't have to have a thought bubble or something. Imaginary friends are flexible, too. They're ambi- ambiguous entities and can take all manner of form and visage. Taylor brings up Bing Bong from Inside Out as another positive example outside of the horror genre. He's a pink cat elephant dolphin made of cotton candy, the polar opposite of anything remotely scary. But on the other end of the spectrum, there's Daniel, the antagonist of Adam G- Egypt Mortimer's Daniel isn't real portrayed in human form by Patrick Schwarzenegger, and ultimately revealed as a demonic spirit so indescribably hideous that H.P. Lovecraft would have applauded its design. Mortimer's answer to this question is why. It's such an incredible way to tell a story that we can identify with all the internal struggles we have as a people. moneymade.com where they have adults recalling the creepy details about their childhood imaginary friends all right my daughter had two imaginary friends when she was about eight the first one's name was lucy apparently lucy had asthma and one day we were driving in the car with the windows down it was summer and the ac wasn't working so it was pretty hot my daughter was sitting in the front seat and she said lucy was sitting on the floor between her legs All of a sudden, my daughter started crying and screaming because Lucy had an asthma attack and died because she was so hot. She later got a replacement friend. She called her Keisha, and according to my daughter, she was Japanese and Jamaican. Well, Keisha was meant, or was mean, and she used to bite people. So my daughter said she had to get rid of her, whatever that meant. I used to sleep in my brother's room. When I would have weird vibes if I slept alone. My foot would get pushed while falling asleep, or my bed would slightly rock back and forth. I just had an all-around feeling of discomfort from being watched. Well, during one of these nights, my brother swore up and down that he had witnessed a little alien with big eyes around me while I was sleeping. I don't know, man. Things were weird growing up. We should have checked the gas levels. I used to talk to a boy named Kevin when I was a child. He came to visit me at night, every night. He would play in my bedroom. Sometimes he stayed in my house, too, instead of going back out the window. I very thoroughly described him to my parents, and before I grew up, I no longer saw him. But I never forgot Kevin. While I still live in that house, my older niece asked us who the little boy in the hall was. She was the only child present. The hall was about three foot space between my old bedroom and my brother's old bedroom, and the bathroom. It was the one space with three doorways, but she was looking right into my room. Then my brother and his family moved into our childhood home a few years back. Within a first month or so of living in my old bedroom, my three-year-old niece described Kevin to my brothers exactly. To a T. We've never told her or any of the kids about Kevin. My mother told me that when I was younger, she heard me talking to someone. She thought I was alone, so she came to investigate. When she saw no one there with me, she asked who I was talking to. When I answered, she went white as a sheet. Apparently, I perfectly described my late grandmother. Fair enough, she passed when I was young, and my mother's grandmother, including her name. I'd never met or even seen a photo of her. She was supremely spooked out. I had an imaginary friend as a kid, and his name was Ricky. He lived in the mirrors and wouldn't let me change. I vividly remember saying something along the lines of, ''Ricky, please don't watch me while I'm changing.'' and Ricky go to a different mirror. I have to take a bath. I imagined a friend who wouldn't give me privacy. My son had an imaginary friend he called Dark. He was only three at the time and he would say hear it see it. We would ask him what he was talking about and he would say Dark. There was only one room in our house he would say this in. It was our basement. He would said that Dark didn't like it when my son would tell us about him. We got the house blessed after my son told us that Dark had a dog, and the dog's name was Keeper. After blessing, he never talked about Dark or Keeper ever again. So I lived in a very old house in a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood with my three little sisters, and according to my mom, we each had an imaginary friend called Little Brown Boy. I was the first one to see him, then my sister, then my other sister, and we. but we had had all forgotten about him by the time the next little sister saw him. Little brown boy would appear, apparently be super nice to us at first, and we would play with him. Then out of nowhere, we would be absolutely terrified of him and not want to go to our room where he lived. We were all about four years old when we saw him. We moved out a few years later, and apparently the people who moved into the house after we left said their little daughter made an imaginary friend shortly afterwards. She called him the mean boy. When I was about seven or eight months pregnant with my third child, my second son, age three, had an imaginary friend named Grayson. His behavior had gotten so out of control that I would ask his grandparents to take him to help me out every so often. One day I walked into the kitchen and he was in his room. I was talking to a friend about how difficult he'd suddenly become. She suggested a therapist, and I felt a little offended. But then, right after I disagreed with her, he walked up beside me and said, Grayson told me I should stab you. Then he smiled this uber-creepy smile. My skin crawled. We finally moved, and the behavior seemed to stop. He is now 12 and doesn't remember any of it, and is very normal. My friend's then eight-year-old brother used to visit his friend after school. For months, he would come home around two or three hours after classes. The school was only a 10 minute walk from their house. So he rarely got picked up, especially since he was a very smart kid. Then one day his dad went to pick him up from school so they could go to the mall only to learn that all the kids had already left. Officers advised the family to wait until dinner time before reporting him missing because he might have gone to a classmate's house. Sure enough, the kid came home as usual around two, or three hours after school. When his parents asked him where he went, he replied, I went to see my friend. Let's call him Jamie. So they asked him to take them to the friend's house, and he led them nearly an hour's walk away to an old abandoned hospital. They went inside, and he showed them a tiny wooden house about 16 square feet at the back side. He said his friend lives there. The house had no sign of anyone living there. It had cobwebs and dust everywhere. Needless to say, the boy was never allowed to go home by himself again. My daughter started having an imaginary friend named Riley shortly after we moved into an apartment. It was all cute until she told me she passed away because his mommy was a bad person. A few months later, I met an upstairs neighbor who told me that a few tenants ago, there was a lady who killed her son named Riley. I had chills. When I was little, I had an imaginary friend named Abba Gabba, Abagaba was a fish boy who used to be a fish before his owner dropped his tank and killed him. I don't remember much about Abagaba, but I do know he had these weird sort of sunken black eyes and red and blue skin, along with these long gills that extended down about 15-ish feet off of his face. He also had kind of sharp teeth and a long blue tongue. For some reason, he liked finding curly hair because his owner had curly hair before she turned six years old. Coincidentally, six was also Abagaba's favorite number. I told my dad about Abagaba one day, and he went pale. Apparently, my dad had a fish named Abagaba that passed when he dropped his tank on his eighth birthday. My dad also had curly hair until he was six. It freaks me out to think about it now. My mom used to tell me the story about my imaginary friend. To start, my mom used to come to check on me in the morning, And things would always have been placed into my cot that baby me would have had no way of reaching and put them in myself. Then as I got older, maybe five years old, I complained of someone knocking on my bedroom door each night. Then came my story of my imaginary friend, a little girl I would play with. My mom asked me to describe her, and I said she wore a long dress and had long ringlet hair, and her eyes were rolled back into her head, cut to a freaked out mom. She tried not to bring it up too much anymore, because she didn't want to encourage this friend to stick around. But a few months later, we were sitting in the front room when I started to cry. My mom asked me what was wrong, and I told her that my friend was sitting on her lap, and it wasn't fair because I wanted to sit on her lap instead. She never forgave me for the mini heart attack that gave her. Eventually, as years went by, I lost all recollection of my friend. My mom would tell me the story every so often. I don't know if this would be considered an imaginary friend but this happened when i was somewhere around four to six years old it was a couple months after my grandfather passed from lung cancer and we were living at my grandmother's house at the time one day i was on the couch and my grandmother was talking about her wedding to my grandfather i ended up saying i was at your wedding my family then explained to me i couldn't have been there what was weird though was that my grandmother questioned me about the wedding and I answered every question about the marriage correctly. Around the same time, my mother overheard me talking to myself, so she walked over and asked who I was talking to. My mother told me I responded with, I'm talking to Pop Pop. A couple of months after these events, they re-asked if I remembered talking to my grandfather, but apparently I forgot everything. However, I do remember one that's forever in my mind. When I was eight, I was getting ready for school with my grandma, was still asleep, and I saw a white figure in the same shape as my grandfather walk into the bathroom. This was the last time I saw or talked to him. When I was little, I was pretty firmly established that I had an imaginary friend named Other. Other had the same name as me, so I just called him Other. I would tell my mom that Other was being mean to me and wanted to take Dad's bike. I also remember telling my father that Other was very mad at him for hurting me. He was an abusive piece of work. And my dad literally threw me across the room. I asked my mom about it as an adult, and I finally learned the strange truth. She told me that my father had had a brother, whom I was named after, but wasn't told about because shortly before I was born, he passed in a motorcycle accident. All right, we find this on KidSpot, but it's called a creepy laugh. Jess, who goes by Autist Artist, on TikTok shared a moment with her daughter Avery had with one of her imaginary best friends. Ava was in the bathroom laughing and talking to herself, and her mom thought it was the cutest thing ever, so hit record on her phone. The mood suddenly shifts though when you hear a door slam. The laughter stop and Ava saying firmly, No one leaves the room. Jess stops recording and shared the clip to her TikTok account where it racked up hundreds of thousands of views and plenty of warnings for the mom and her family. Move out of the house now, wrote one concerned commenter. Other people were convinced the little girl had some kind of sixth sense and could see things the rest of the fuss couldn't. You definitely have some spirits because kids can see them, one person said. Jess asked Ava in a later video who she was talking to, but Ava would only say it was my friend. I know she was talking... I know she's talked about having imaginary friends before, but she won't talk about them," Jess said. In a third video, Jess and Ava sit down and draw Ava's best friend, with unusual results. What do you think? A standard imaginary find from a creative child, and something more sinister at play? All right, this comes from Scary Mommy by Sarah Jusco. What they don't tell you about your kids' imaginary friends. In nursing school, I took a child psychology class where they spent a good 15 minutes teaching us about children and imaginary friends. I vividly remember the hair standing up on the back of my neck as the instructor described children having full-fledged conversations and play sessions with their friends. All I honestly got out of it was... This can't be normal. Have none of you seen The Shining, *Andrewville*, Poltergeist, Children of the Goddamn Corn? Did the 80s not happen to you? Enough with this psycho bullshit. This needs to be an exorcism and need- immediately. So the other day, our delicate, blue-eyed, bouncy, almost five-year-old daughter and I were home alone when she informed me via a faint, secretive whisper, cupped hand at all, I have two friends in my room. It took every bit of willpower power not to grab her football style, light a match, and drop it as I ran out. We're going to need an old priest and a young priest. (laughs) Once I heard an interview with Stephen King in which journalists asked him where he got his ideas for his horror-filled novels. His response was, I have the brain of an eight-year-old A jar, in a jar on my desk. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but the deadpan way in which he said it was The very way the I-have-two-friends-in-my-room news was delivered to me. Um, Okay, are they here now? Bea, yes. Me, can you see them? Bea, yes. Me, can I see them? Bea, no. Me, why? Bea, they don't want you to know they're here yet. My pupil's dilated, serious as hell. My pupils ached. They dilated so big. After some interrogation-style questioning, I learned that most importantly, they are nice. They don't ask her to do things, like kill her parents in their sleep or disembowel a pet. One looks like a balloon and the other a rainbow. I must add this info was all obtained through the aforementioned cupped hand whisper. So at first I thought she was said, one has a balloon, and again was reaching for the matches. And finally... They only come to her at night when her fan is on. Okay. Now I think I know what's going on. The fan is moving the curtains and allowing light from the street lamps in. I got this. After a few Google searches and a consult with Freud himself, I was assured that this is completely normal and actually the age in which imaginary friends start to come about. The American Psychological psychological association assures me that this is actually a good thing and a sign of a creative mind that I should nurture with open dialogue about her friends without playing into actually seeing them. Fast forward to yesterday morning when I'm jolted awake by the ever so awesome kid one inch away from your face technique as she whispered they want to meet you now. I jumped partly because I was in a dead sleep and mostly this has seriously got me on edge. What? Who? My friends? Now? Yeah. As we're walking down the hall, it dawns on me. I need a debriefing. We pause outside her door. Are they in there now? They should be. Are they in a good mood? I think so. You think so? Should I talk to them? I don't know. This is futile. She's giving me nothing. I'm just going to have to go in. I didn't even bring a pen to pop the balloon if it gets rowdy. Alright, let's do this. So I walk in. It's dark. I'm squinting to see if there's some scrunched up nefarious creatures in the corner, rocking back and forth or something. We can't really see, so I flip on the light. No! What? The lights have to be off or they won't come. Of course. And the door has to be shut too? Now sit on the floor. There. I'm sure there are similar instructions given to terrorists by their captives, but it's my kid, so I go with it. After 6.2 seconds, my daughter says, They're gone. What? Really? Did I do something wrong? No, they just had to leave. So there we have it. I stood up an imaginary balloon and rainbow at 6.15 on a Saturday morning. What has my life come to? The good news The APA says the imaginary friends rarely last longer than three years, at which time new friends may appear. So just when I get used to these two divas who can't wait 30 seconds it takes me to throw on a robe and collect myself at the crack of dawn, I'm going to have to deal with a new crew, for the love of God. Alright, so now we go over to Every Mom, where it has an article, Help, My Child is Scared of Imaginary People, by L.C. Du Toit. The supernatural world can be quite fascinating. Many people believe in the presence of ghosts and spirits, which might roam the earth and make their presence known in positive or more unpleasant ways. The reason they're still around can have numerous explanations you might notice your little one talking to herself while she's playing. You might have brushed it off as just an imaginary friend, but what if this imaginary friend seems so real to your child that she's convinced it's another person? One of our readers is in a similar situation with her son. The only difference is that it doesn't seem like the ghost is very friendly. We posted her a question on our Facebook page to ask her community some advice. A lot of you had similar encounters and had really interesting advice on how she should handle the situation to get rid of this person. Whether you believe in ghosts, spirits, or angels or not, this thread got quite creepy. It begins. Hi moms, I have a strange question to throw out there, but I'm interested in the answer. My four-year-old claims to be seeing people in our house for a couple of years now. We live in a rural farm in the valley in Curry, and one of our fields is a massive famine grave. The mound and standing stones are still visible. When my little boy was two, he was playing outside. He ran inside absolutely petrified and told me there was a girl with no face standing in our driveway, and she wanted to come into our house because she had no house anymore. I told him, took him outside and told him to show me he pointed to the field where the mass grave is and told me she lives there but she has no house he wouldn't know what that was there two years later the roison the girl with no face is still in her house she mainly stays in his playroom because she likes his toys apparently but sometimes comes through the walls because she's scared on her own he will not go into his playroom on his own, and for the last two years, he's been consistent on where Roizen sits. He says to me constantly, she has no face, but she and she always cries because she wants to play with my toys, and she can't. Now we seem to have a man mixed into all this that goes into his room. He actually asks us to turn off the lights in the hall because we have glass in our doors, and he can see the shadow. I've asked Royzen to leave. I've told her she's scaring my son and she needs to go back where she belongs. And even though I believe my son's fear, I don't believe it myself. Honestly, the things he says would give you chills, whether you're a believer or not. But she does scare him. Then tonight, he screamed and was terrified because he was convinced someone came into his room. He said, it touched me and asked me to go with him. And I stayed in my bed and called you. I hate that he's so scared that he's feeling this. I guess my question is, is this common? Do a lot of toddlers say these things? Is there a reason, maybe a developmental thing, of not being able to separate imaginary from reality? Other than freaking me out a little, I would love to be able to make my son feel safe. It must feel awful for him. Thanks in advance. Alright, some advice was get someone to cleanse your house of spirits. Louise, get someone to do a cleanse of your house. We did it last year for our house and it totally changed the energy in the house. Lovely, don't take it lightly. Try spiritual cleansing your house. Children don't lie about these things. Anna, maybe try some protective symbols. Also like iron nails, a horseshoe on the main door, and wind chimes scare the spirits away too. If you get a priest. Then have him bless not just the house, but the grave also, so that the spirits who linger there will find their final rest. You can cleanse your house by yourself. Uh, somebody, I can't pronounce their name. Spirituality, or spiritually clean the house by burning white sage and wafting it into all the corners of the rooms. It's called smudging. It removes negative energy. Liz. I didn't believe it until a friend said something was in my house, and I have, would have to burn sage. I burned white sage. It, it did it. thought it was worth a shot, and everyone sleeps easier now. Miriam, I remember the energy in our house was quite negative, so my mom, who knows a lot more about this than I do, sprinkled salt in all the corners and then vacuumed it all up after an hour or two. We felt like it made a difference on children can see spirits up to the age of approximately five years old usually they are not scared and often referred to it as their imaginary friends with fondness in the short term burn dried sage and walk to every corner of the house with it then open the windows for a while to let out the energy set the intention that the negative energy is released in its place high vibrational frequency is anchored in Burn a candle in his bedroom also, with the same intention, and leave it to burn out. Stand the little fella in the shower and visualize the energy on top of his head, to the tips of his toes being washed away. See as if he's covered in coal dust, and as it's washed away, he's becoming cleansed. Then visualize a white light descending down through his crown, spreading through his whole body, and a blue flame of protection rotating around him. An unfamiliar energy may have come in that he isn't familiar with. Some people said it's common for kids to see these things. Shelley says this is perfectly normal. All kids see things, from babies to about six years old. Even some after that have imaginary friends. Don't worry about it. Linda, young kids are more open to seeing spirits and angels all three of mine when they were small would be chatting to my late mother in our box room always looking in the same corner my eldest would see orbs in her nan's shop and a medium told us they were angels my little sister was or my little sister when she was small would speak to my nanny after she died she used to tell my mom things she couldn't possibly know at 3 years old right jillian Yes, it's common in young children to see spirits. Most don't mean any bad intentions, but if you do want to stop this, then a house clean is an option, and does apparently work. Your child has a gift, was another response. Joanne said it's not uncommon for children to see spirits, as they are more open to it and have yet become closed off by fear like adults have. This happened to me as a child, too, and I understand your child's fear. It is scary. You have the choice to switch it off, though, and it's important to do so. Get your child to image sh- imagine shutting a door to the spirit and saying, no, not today. Google third eye and get him to imagine closing it. We need to keep grounded in reality, and getting outside in nature helps. Trying to forget about it and not giving it your attention also. Get some crystals for protection like Black tourmaline. keep it with him under his pillow, ask the help of Archangel Michael to protect him, and ask his angels to prevent him from seeing all this. If all else fails, I would get the help of a psychic medium. When we get older, when he gets older, he has the choice to use his gifts again. I now have learned how to turn this ability off and on, otherwise it would be very difficult to live like a normal person. And... But it is an amazing gift. Right? Several people saying, get your house blessed. Maybe it's sleep related. Do some research about your house. Right? There's articles about kids drawing creepy pictures and saying that's their imaginary friend. Like uh, one that looks like a bloody nun. That is creepy. But those are just drawings. So, nine-year-old. Can I sleep with you? Why? Had a dream about the lullaby lady. Who? An old woman with no skin on her hands. Why do you call her that? Because she stands next to your bed and hums while you sleep. Sure. Just let Daddy put the hose or the house up for sale real quick. <laughs> These are like uh, posts about imaginary friends. Same thing happened with my son. His imaginary friend... name was John. My brother John died two years before my son was born. I have pictures of John and I asked one time to my son, or I said one time, he would have loved you. And my kid said, oh, he does. And he misses you. I cried in the closet. I heard my four year old arguing by herself. She doesn't have imaginary friends. She has imaginary enemies. My almost five-year-old was playing with his imaginary friend and when I asked about it he said no, I'm the imaginary friend. Now I have my next book idea. Kinda wish my five-year-old told me before he invited all of his buddies to his imaginary friend's birthday party this weekend. My son at four years old had an imaginary friend called Sydney. I recall this lovely conversation once. "Mummy." please. Could I have a blanket? Sydney is always cold. Of course. Why do you think he's cold? Well, he's dead. I never slept again. (laughs) My granddaughter or my daughter is currently giving my grandmother, her great grandmother, a tour of my parents' new home. My grandmother is passed away in 93. Okay. So she was giving the dead grandma a tour. Got it. My kids got into a screaming match over what imaginary food to feed their imaginary baby. They're ready for the internet. Big morning here already. My son developed his first imaginary friend. Then we ran it over, backing out of the garage. While tucking in my son, he casually told me he lived a long life a long time ago, when his name was Gerald, and he had a brother, Cole. Who was also his business partner, and they died together in a car crash, so please join me in not sleeping at all tonight. My daughter had an imaginary friend, enemy, named Bubbaha, which isn't exactly a common name. One day, I was in the bathroom at Target, without my daughter, by the way, when another little girl told me, or er, told her mom she wouldn't come in until Bubbaha left. That's creepy. Today, my daughter told me one of her best friends is a dead girl named Haley, who hangs out with her at daycare and hits her when she says bad words like stupid. Seems pretty unfair that so many people who are 65 and older can't get a vaccine yet, but my son's imaginary friend named Banana has been vaccinated 19 times. My two-year-old waved to an empty room and said, bye-bye. She better have an imaginary friend because I am not paying for another exorcism. My son has an imaginary friend, Stephen. He directed me into the car, in the car away, which we haven't been before. There's a pink house coming up here, Mommy. That's where Stephen lives. We did arrive at a pink house. And he asked, can we go knock and see Stephen? Just found out the kid I thought was my daughter's imaginary friend is actually real. Whoops. 10 Perplexing Stories Featuring Imaginary Friends by Estelle Most of the time, an imaginary friend is just that, imaginary. Children all over the world have them. They play outside with them, leave a space for them at the dinner table, have squabbles with them over sweets, and so on. But sometimes the idea of an imaginary friend masks something entirely different. The twisted concept of an imaginary friend has served as an inspiration of horror novels, movies, and terrifying people worldwide. And then imaginary friends have played roles in the strangest, most unexplained situations. The following are just a few examples. Number 10. The Murder of Ricky Cole Ricky Cole hurt and allegedly murdered a lot of people right up until he himself was brutally beaten to death with a pipe by a young man named Jason Coates in 2013. In court, one of Coates' lawyers stated that Ricky Cole had an imaginary friend who lived in the black in a black box and went by the name of Vern. It was apparently this Vern who told Cole to maim and murder others. Jason Coate had overheard conversations between Cole and Vern and was terrified for his own life, leading him to kill Cole. Defense lawyers were building up their case on the premise of self-defense to get Jason Coate off the hook, pointing out that drugs found in Ricky Cole's system could have made him psychotic and could also have led to the invention of Vern. However, the prosecution believed that Jason Coate simply murdered Cole in cold blood after the latter wouldn't supply the former with the drugs he wanted. Jason Coate was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Number nine, the boy in the closet. When three-year-old Rebecca started talking about her new friend called Jonathan, her parents didn't take much notice. Even when she became obsessed with her closet and told her parents that Jonathan was in there, they didn't think anything of it. After all, many toddlers have imaginary friends, and Rebecca would soon outgrow the notion of it. Then Rebecca's mom fell pregnant again, and the family opted to move to a bigger place that would accommodate their new baby. Rebecca moved on from her imaginary friend, and her parents soon forgot about it completely. Four months later, the new owners of the family's old home contacted Rebecca's father. They had found a trapdoor in the back of Rebecca's closet, and below the trapdoor, there was a hole with a box in it. It contained baby pictures and baby clothes. On the box was written, Jonathan's. Number 8. Carl Anthony Towns' Alter Ego At 21 years old, basketball player Carl Anthony Towns became the third youngest player in 30 years to have a minimum of 45 points and 15 rebounds in a game. In 2015, Sporting News wrote an article about Towns because fans were mystified over who the young man was talking to while playing. According to the article, Towns admitted to having an imaginary friend that over time had turned into his alter ego, who he named Carlito. He also stated that Carlito is the little voice that sits on his shoulder during games. Towns' teammate, Tyler Ullis, added his voice to the article as well, explaining that when Towns seems to be looking down and talking to the ground, he's actually talking to Carlito. It seems that Carlito is instrumental in helping Towns to keep his from talking back to his coach. When he is criticized by him during games, the coach is apparently not much bothered by the presence of Carlito, as long as it influences Town's game in a positive way. Number seven, January Schofield's Imaginary Friends. By the time January Schofield turned four, she had so many imaginary friends that her parents couldn't keep up. Some of these friends ordered January to hurt the family dog. Even her baby brother. Whenever she would try to hit her newborn brother, her father would have to hold her down. January would then attack the only way she could, by biting down wherever she found a spot on her father's body. At school, she would hurl herself at windows and doors. These fits of rage would last seconds or minutes, and then January would be the angelic daughter her parents knew her to be. January is also an extremely smart girl. She was able to speak grammatically correct before she was two years old. At four, she had the mental age of an 11-year-old. However, she preferred the company of her imaginary friends, which included little girls and animals such as dogs and even rats. She also refused to be called by her name. At age six, January tried to kill herself by attempting to throw herself from her bedroom window. She also tried to choke herself with her own shirt sleeve. After several doctor visits and trips to a psychologist and then a psychiatrist, a devastating diagnosis was made. January had child-onset schizophrenia. She was one of the youngest people in the U.S. to be diagnosed with a terrible disorder. As if this wasn't enough to deal with, her brother, Bodhi, was diagnosed with autism at age 5, and there was a real possibility that he, too, might suffer from schizophrenia. Number six, Jess. In her book Psychic Kids, Lynn Gallagher explains or attempts to explain the unexplained incidents that sometimes occur around or with children. She also explores the concept of imaginary friends, relating to a tale of a couple and their daughter who had a terrifying experience in their family home. Lorenda and Ben together with their six-year-old daughter, Anna, moved into a Victorian-era house where they could entertain guests and even offer them a spare room to sleep in when they came to visit. After a while, Anna started talking about a little girl named Jess and a dollhouse that Jess didn't want her to play with. Anna also started to refuse to let the family dog into her room because Jess was terrified of her. Lorenda spoke to Ben about this, but Ben wasn't concerned saying that imaginary friends were part of growing up. Lorinda accepted this, and as Anna's complaints about Jess grew more and more, Lorinda simply brushed them off. One night, the lights went out in the house, and Lorinda immediately went to the living room, where Anna was sleeping on the couch, to light some candles. It was then that Lorinda saw a strange girl sitting on the floor next to Anna, stroking her hair and singing a lullaby. Lorinda screamed, but the girl did not acknowledge her, only when the dog, Lulu, started barking at her did the girl jump up in alarm. The girl ran to the door, froze, and then let out a blood-curdling scream. She then vanished, leaving behind a pool of blood. Number five, Bleeder. Ryland was born suffering from the effects of his mother's meth use and into a family with a history of bipolar disorder. He was adopted by Kim and Ryan, who wanted to give him a better life. Little did they know, by the time he was seven, he would be swearing like a sailor, a sailor and have an unhealthy obsession with knives. His adopted parents appeared on Dr. Phil trying to get help for their son, convinced he would turn into a mass murderer or a serial killer when he got older. During their segment, the parents played a video they took of their son screaming and threatening to kill his mother and another woman while they were trying to calm him down during one of his outbursts. A video, another video showed the young boy mimicking how he would stab his parents if they dared to take his big knives away. Ryland had had many problems since birth, which escalated over the years. Before he was two, he would hold his breath until he passed out. He played with knives at age 3, and when he was 6 years old, he cut off his fingertips with a razor blade because his imaginary friend told him to do so. This imaginary friend was a robot with the charming name of Bleeder. Bleeder would also tell him to murder his family. Dr. Phil gave his standard advice to the couple, but to date, no updates have been given as to the child's behavior since the segment aired. Number 4. Eric In January 2013, 19-year-old Logan Fisher tied up his girlfriend, stuck duct tape over her mouth, and tried to smother her with a pillow. He also tied her hands behind her back and attempted to choke her. Fortunately, his girlfriend was able to reason with him when he let go of her, and he released her. She then called her uncle, who in turn called the police, and fled meeting up with them in a parking lot. Logan followed her there and was arrested on the spot. While being questioned, he told officers that his girlfriend was at his house. He started hearing the voices of his childhood imaginary friend called Eric. He also told them that he was not the sort who tied up a young woman, but that Eric had done so. Instead, Logan went on to say that Eric spoke to his girlfriend as well and told her to cut Logan with a knife, but she refused to do so. Naturally, the policeman did not fall for the story, and Logan was charged with battery and strangulation. Number 3. Laughing Jack According to the urban legend, Laughing Jack is a creepy clown that appears to children as an imaginary friend, but then turns on them by cutting them open from top to bottom and ripping out their organs. He then fills up their empty bodies with candy. In 2015, a 12-year-old girl from Indiana set her home on fire and then proceeded to stab her stepmother to death. When questioned by the authorities, the girl stated that she had been given an instruction by Laughing Jack to kill her stepmother. The girl was taken to a medical center where it was established she suffered from PTSD as well as disassociative identity disorder. No private institution would keep her, and she had to be moved to a state mental institution. She was found unfit to stand trial because of her mental disorder. All right, number two meme turned myth turned imaginary friend in a case very similar to laughing jack two girls from wisconsin lured their friend into the woods may 2014 after having a slumber party the two 12 year olds then proceeded to stab her 19 times very nearly severing an artery close to her heart amazingly the girl survived when they were arrested they told the police that Slenderman had instructed them to kill their friend. Otherwise, he would kill their families. Slenderman, a tall, slender creature that wears a black suit and has no facial features, originated as a meme and then morphed into a creepy pasta, and somehow emerged as a type of imaginary friend, foe, to the two girls, who did not hesitate to stab their friend to appease the ghoulish apparition. The girls also believed that Man would welcome them into his mansion after the murder and that he watched over them and could materialize instantly and read their minds. Number one, Casey Anthony's made-up life. In a decision that shocked the world, Casey Anthony was found not guilty in 2011 of murdering her beautiful two-year-old daughter Kaylee, despite many pieces of evidence pointing to her guilt. Instead, she was only convicted of Ford misdemeanor charges, including providing false information to the police. False information was an understatement, however. Casey Anthony had a whole host of imaginary friends and created fictitious worlds for these characters, even fictitious events. Anthony claimed, first of all, to have had a job at Universal Studios and even led police to there before admitting that she lied. She also told police that she had a babysitter, who used to go with her ex-boyfriend. The nanny's name was Zaneda, Zanny for short. She claimed that Zanny kidnapped Kaylee because she believed Anthony to be a bad mother. Anthony also claimed that a man by the name of Jeff Hopkins was her boyfriend, and he worked for Nickelodeon. She invented a mother for Hopkins and claimed that the woman suffered from cancer. Anthony even lied about her daughter's father, saying his name was Eric Baker, but no one in her family had ever laid eyes on this person. A while later, Anthony told her mother that Baker had been killed in an accident. In spite of all these lies and obvious flaws in her story concerning her daughter's disappearance and murder, Casey Anthony remains a free woman. All right. So, we go over to Mashable, where they have an article, Adorable little girl has the most terrifying imaginary friend ever. Alright, by Cassie Murdoch. Kids say the most soul-crushing, terrifying things, don't they? Meet Ruby. Three. Three who's either had an extremely vivid imagination or is being haunted by a pregnant teen ghost. This little girl's description of her imaginary friend, who frankly, frankly sounds more like a trapped spirit from another era, was tweeted on Monday by actress Natalie Morales. Morales was rightfully scared by Ruby's imaginary mom, Grateful, The child details many frightening specifics about her so-called friend. Her yellow eyelashes mean she can see in the dark. She only comes to me at nighttime. It scares me sometimes, but I always want want her to come back. She has two babies in her belly. She's 14, but can never have a birthday. Since we don't know where Ruby's statement originally appeared, there's no way for us to find out if she's being visited by... Grateful, or if she's since grown up to write screenplays for horror flicks. Naturally, Ruby's friend has garnered any number of horrified reactions in GIF 4. My Daughter Has an Imaginary Ghost Friend, and It's Kind of Creepy by Laura Wheaton Hill. Janie showed up with the fever. Alice, newly four, woke up one morning with a high fever. No other symptoms. Tylenol didn't kick it, Advil didn't kick it. I took her to the doctor. It's viral, the on-call doctor said after looking her over. Just wait it out. Come back if the fever isn't controlled in a few days. A few days later, the fever is still going strong. We went back and the on-call doctor again told us it's, it was a nasty virus. And Alice started talking about the girl in the yard. There's a girl outside. She wants me to play with her. I looked outside only to see a foggy morning. What does she look like? She looks like me but she's wearing a nightgown. What color? White? More than once I wondered if the swing tied to the giant silver maple in the front yard wasn't swinging on its own. A week later the fever still wouldn't go away. There has to be something we can do, I implore the on-call doctor. Never in the process did we actually see our actual pediatrician. He would have figured this out sooner, I'm sure. Alice was spinning in circles and laughing in the office, acting totally normal, but the fever wouldn't go down. Is she coughing? The doctor asks. I mean, it's spring. We all cough from November to May. The doctor stares at me blankly. Yes, I say. She has an occasional dry, small cough. It's pneumonia. I can see it on the x-ray. I have no medical training. They prescribed antibiotics, and the fever is gone in a couple days, but Janie didn't go away. The girl, as we knew her at the time, kept showing up outside during the night. I'd ask Alice what she was doing up at night, and she wouldn't have a good answer for me. She'd tell me she'd gone to her window in the middle of the night and had seen the girl out there asking her to come play. "'But you won't go play, right?' I asked carefully. "'You never want to show your fear too strongly to your kids.' like Alice, because it might inspire her to try something dangerous, like jump off the highest point of the play structure, causing her to break her heels, and leading to another pediatrician visit. No, I won't go play with her. Good girl. Why not? I'm trying to avoid eye contact in case she sees my trick and learns how to open doors like a velociraptor tonight. I picture myself on the news, begging police to help find my baby, promising I'm a good mother and I'm baby-proofed and that this wasn't my fault. I picture the tweets calling me a negligent. I picture her frozen little body out in the woods. I picture myself going to jail. Get a grip. Why don't you? Why do you go play with her? Because there's the mean scarecrow, she says matter-of-factly. The what guy? The bad guy scarecrow is outside my window at night. What does he look like? My heart racing. He's blue. What's his name? She thinks. Smiles a wicked glint in her eyes. Mike Wazowski. My daughter is a perfect mimic, and I instantly recognize her deft imitation of Boo from Monsters, Inc. I decide not to worry too much about the girl and the scarecrow. We also discover during this time that Alice is farsighted. Once the glasses came in, Alice's art skills skyrocketed. She started drawing people that look like people and flowers that look like flowers. She also drew shovels that look like penises, but you can't win them all, can you? Most of her drawings were of people, and almost almost all of those drawings included self-portraits. I noticed that, though, with increasing frequency, the drawings were of two girls. Who is this? That's me. See my glasses? I look Closer and see what she did. Indeed, draw a glass of frames around the eyes. And who is that? I asked, pointing to the other girl. That's Janie. Who? Janie, my sister. Your sister? I wonder. Alice has a brother, Wesley, two years younger. My big sister, Janie. She's older than you? Um, a little bit. She's half a year older than me. See how she's taller? Alice points to Janie on the page, and sure enough, Janie is a little bit taller than Alice. I'm sure I know what this is about. Alice, I start with my gentle, full-house parent voice. Are you feeling sad that you don't have a sister, or maybe jealous because some of your friends have sisters? No. Are you sad because I told you I'm not going to have any more babies? No. Do you love your brother? Yeah. So why don't you draw you and your brother? Because I drew me and Janie. Do you think you could draw me? A picture of you with Daddy and Wesley and I? I guess. I decided to drop it. No big deal. Imaginary big sister. Alice is the oldest. It makes sense that she'd fantasize about having a big sister around her to be her friend. I am a bit upset though because Alice has been pounding or producing these beautiful family portraits lately. And Janie is in all of them. Usually her dad is on the left, tallest, with a mess of curls. Then me, looking like tall Alice, except with brown hair. Then Alice. Then Jamie. And at the bottom, barely fitting on the page, rushed due to, I don't know, hand fatigue, mental fatigue, or lack of care, it's a smudgy lump-like thing representing Alice's actual sibling, her brother Wesley. Sometimes there's a cat in the mix too. And sometimes there's flowers or grass or a rainbow, one of those famous shovels. The pictures vary, but Janie's in all of them. One night at bedtime, Alice tells me that Janie is in the room with us. I don't know how she managed to snag an invite inside after being relegated to the yard, but she's in. And according to Alice, she's standing right there, right there near the bed, watching me. I try not to give too much weight on this, Oh, she's here? What is she wearing? Her nightgown. Oh, the white one? Yeah, red dots. I'm thinking, like blood? Yeah, red polka dots. Oh, pretty. Janie shows up in drawings Alice does at preschool. One day a teacher tentatively asked me, Alice doesn't have a sister, does she? Oh, no. Is she talking about Janie to you? Yes, she says she's a big sister named Janie. Janie is imaginary, I say. Oh, okay. She draws her in all of her family pictures and was talking about playing with her big sister, but I didn't think you had any other children. Right, I don't. Janie might be a ghost. (laughs) The teacher laughs, so I laugh. It's a joke. It's not real. Janie's cute, imaginary friend. It's a developmentally appropriate my sister had an imaginary friend. He was a ghost. It's like that. My sister turned out okay, didn't she? Alice has always been imaginative. She plays doggies, kittens, doctor, princess, fairies, you name it. But her favorite thing to do is go out in the front yard by the big swing by the big tree. Usually I just stay inside watching them from the kitchen or my de facto desk at the dining table. I like to watch her playing independently, being her amazing, dramatic, creative self. I notice her mouth is often moving, as if she's talking to someone. It's been two years, and Janie still lives with us. She's casually at the table at breakfast. She listens in on story time. I try not to make a big deal of it. No need to squelch Alice's creativity or anger any spirits. Sometimes, though, my curiosity gets the better of me. One night as we wrap up dinner, I ask, Alice, who are Jamie's parents? You and Daddy. But I didn't give birth to her. I'd remember that. Her parents died, so she lives here now. I feel a coldness in the air, in Alice's tone. Why did she choose to live here? She heard about me and came to be my stepsister. Wesley, now almost four, says, She's not alive, Alice. Let's go play. She's not alive. Wesley shrugs and runs into the living room. Alice goes to play with her sibling. Alright, cool story. All right, I believe this site is called Cult Nation. And there's an article, Speaking to Dead People, Extremely Creepy Imaginary Friends. By Megan. When my oldest daughter was about two and a half, right after we moved to Canada, she introduced us to her new imaginary friend, Nina. She always talked to Nina, and Nina was always involved in some way with everything she did. To be honest, I kind of hoped she was some kind of clairvoyant, because it'd be weird. I'm weird like that. But after a few months, Nina went away and never heard from him again. Now when I ask her about Nina, it's like she never existed. Imaginary friends are something many of us had as kids, and personally, I'm a believer in children's ability to connect with spirits. Is it because they don't know any of society's stigma about the spirit realm, or is it because the hole in their heads? I don't know. But here are a few stories about imaginary friends that definitely sound like there was some kind of otherworldly connection happening, and it was creepy. We go over to Haunted Attraction Online, where they have an article, Five Signs Your Child's Imaginary Friend May Actually Be a Ghost. It's common knowledge that kids are prone to have very active imaginations. In between making, playing make-believe with neighbor kids and asking their parents inquisitive and usually embarrassing questions in public, kids are known to develop an imaginary friend to entertain them on rainy afternoons. But like having active imaginations, kids are also susceptible and open to seeing ghosts that are most, that most adults are. And what happens in your, if your child thinks their new imaginary friend is, in fact, a ghost? Here are 5 warning signs that your kid's new bestie is actually an evil spirit. Number 1, a proper name. Children admittedly have a penchant for naming their favorite possessions, be it a hamster or a cherished doll. But if their new imaginary friend has a proper name, it could be an early warning sign that something is amiss. When an entity has a Christian name, it implies that said entity has an established identity. Perhaps your daughter just happens to like the name Morgan, or maybe that was the name of someone who died once in your house. Number two, sudden violence. Children are not always savvy when it comes to communicating their frustrations and fears. As a result, sometimes they act out in ways parents find less than savory. But if your typically well-behaved child is suddenly acting aggressive after establishing an imaginary friend, it could be that said friend is negatively influencing your child. Your child. Another warning sign, if your child tells you their imaginary friend is hurting them in some way, it's possible that your child is struggling with some mental issues. Or maybe the ghost in your house just wasn't a nice person when they were alive. Number three, isolation. If your child's imaginary friend truly is imaginary, that means your child is in control of their actions dialogue and how involved the friend is in their life. But if your kid is suddenly isolating themselves from you or their friends, it could be a warning sign. That imaginary friend may be instructing or pressuring your child to detach themselves from others as a means of creating a greater influence over them and their decisions. Number four, a stranger's voice. This is one... This one may not be obvious at first, as kids often speak on behalf of their stuffed animals and other toys. But if your child grows up to be a professional voice actor, they will only have a limited range of tones and pitches as an adolescence. If you find your child having a conversation with their imaginary friend, be sure to pay special attention to their mouth when they're talking. Some parents have been shocked to discover their kids were really having a two-person conversation in their bedroom. Disembodied Sounds If you suspect your kid's imaginary friends may be a ghost or paranormal entity in your home, it's advised that you start paying attention to sounds you hear around your house. Is that sudden creaking coming from the vent, or is it a sound of someone unseen walking down the hallway? Chances are, if your child's new friend is a ghost, there will be other signs of his presence around the house. If you're convinced that your child has befriended one of the dead, try your best not to panic. At least not in front of your kids. Instilling fear in your children will only make the matter worse. Instead, speak candidly with your child about their imaginary friend and ask a lot of questions. For those of you who are certain that the spirit is malicious in nature, consider confronting them yourself and demanding that they leave you and your family alone. If worse comes to worse, consider consulting a religious figure or paranormal investigator to help dispel the pesty spirit. Alright, very cool. I'm sure I had a lot of imaginary friends growing up. Uh, My parents always told me about uh, how I would tell them about different people that were there that were not there, and it would freak them out. So (laughs) this episode was really fascinating and really cool to do. Um, My nephew used to tell me um, to close his closet at night because that's where the man stood, And stared at him while he was sleeping. So I never enjoy whenever people say there's like a man in the closet. That's never fun. But I digress. Um, Yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Sorry about it being late. And yeah. Join us on our Facebook page at Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shiz. Paranormal Stories and then Spooky Shiz is in parentheses. You can find our group there. It's a great way to connect with me and send me stories for future episodes. All right, stay spooky, my friends.